0: This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Dowley. Our guest this week is Doug Winter, chairman of the U.S. Soybean Export Council. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by CropLife America, providing crop protection products to assist farmers in sustainably producing a safe and ample food, fiber, and fuel supply for the world. Learn more at croplifeamerica.org. AgriPulse open mic continues with USEC chair, Doug Winter, next. The Environmental Protection Agency's high review standards help keep Americans safe. The agency's rigorous review process sets the standard for protecting the public and environment. That's why only 1 in 10,000 pesticides make the journey from the lab to the field. In fact, on average, it takes more than 11 years to develop data for and move fully through the EPA approval process for pesticides. Through federal preemption, EPA helps keep millions of Americans safe by setting standards and creating uniform labels and packaging for pesticides. Learn more by visiting croplifeamerica.org slash federal pesticide regulation. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. Doug Winter is a fifth-generation crop farmer from southern Illinois. He has served as chair of the U.S. Soy Export Council over the past year. Most of the soybeans he raises are shipped down the Ohio and Mississippi rivers to export customers around the world. The U.S. exports 60% of its annual production, and Winter sees the responsibility of maintaining and growing opportunities for U.S. soy in the global marketplace. Last week, the industry celebrated a 40-year anniversary of opening the Chinese market for U.S.
1: growers. Normally, China has taken half of that 60%. 30% of our beans in the U.S. were exported to China historically. Now, that's decreased in the last few years they have got a lot of internal things going on their hog herd's been reduced because of the swine fever problem and they've got some economic problems like every other country around the world does so so there's a lot of things that play in china right now they've had some problems with covid and so there's been kind of reduced consumption of a lot of products because of lockdowns and and that sort of thing but i think china is going to remain to be a very strong customer in the future because they've got the population in the demand and, and those people are are having a desire for a better quality diet, and the first thing that people, when they want to increase the quality of their diet, they increase their protein intake and the quality of their protein, so they're, they're moving up from into poultry as an entry level, but there's a lot of poultry and pork consumed in, in the Chinese market, and a lot of aquaculture consumed, and, and those are three main areas that really utilize soy protein very well. The soybean grower in the U.S. proved that an
0: export market isn't developed overnight. You spent a lot of time and a lot of money to develop the Chinese market, and in developing that market, you also created an opportunity for competition in that marketplace.
1: Oh, well, Of course, and we can't ignore the South American production areas, Brazil, Argentina, and of course, the more you use soy, the more uses you find for soy. In different diets, higher inclusion rates in the diets. In the U.S., we've diversified into some industrial uses and new uses like that. But we've had a lot of competition from South America, but we're finding that and when we look back at the last five years, two out of those years, consumption of soy has outpaced production, so we've dug into stockpiles pretty good as far as our, our stocks, year-end stocks. So I think that's something we've got to keep in mind. With biofuels coming up in the U.S. in the future, we're going to be looking at a, a heavier amount of, of um, usage of the oil, and there's a lot of demand for oil. We're going to have more meal on the market, and we've got a lot of countries around the world that are interested in meal. One of the things that we have done is tried to diversify our markets not necessarily going away from China but finding other markets to increase our demand for soy in in other markets around the world now you know China is still the big consumer Um but India is up and coming. India has become in the last couple of years, they become the largest buyer of US soybean oil. So there's a lot of possibilities out there in, in a number of countries that are that are really increasing their usage of U.S. soy.
0: So soy industry now has the triad. It has the United Soybean Board that administers the checkoff. You got the American Soybean Association that concentrates on policy. And then there's USEC. Where does USEC fit between the two and how has your mission changed? How do you anticipate that your mission may change?
1: Well, USEC was originally a joint venture Oh, close to 18 years ago. The United Soybean Board, the National Checkoff Board, and the American Soybean Association. USEC handles the international marketing for those organizations. We have... People we have country directors in 80 different countries around the world, or have country and regional and country directors that do marketing in 80 over 80 countries around the world. We do a lot of consultation uh, in those areas. Those directors and our are what we refer to as our boots on the ground staff: feed nutritionists, um, consultants in feed milling, consultants in uh, soybean crush operations, oil usage. We help people to find ways to make their businesses in those parts of the world, uh, in those countries in the world, more profitable. And and that way it increases, first of all, it con- increases their, their consumption for soy. We like to recognize a lot of the benefits that U.S. soy has over other suppliers in the world, other producers in the world. and. We find that the loyalty in assisting those countries and the friendships and the collaborations that we develop, those relationships are very valuable in in developing a greater market for U.S. soy, to use a higher percentage of U.S. soy in in the rations and in their various uses that they're coming up with.
0: So what did we learn from China? Because when you were trying to crack into that market 40 years ago, they didn't have a cooperative extension service. They didn't have people that were there to educate and to assist there's producers you spend a lot of time with boots on the ground and showing uh livestock producers showing the aquaculture industry how using u.s soy could improve their productivity overall how did the model in china did you replicate that have you replicated that in other areas to help make that a symbiotic relationship where you both benefit
1: Yes. And and it's been the model in China, of course you have to fine tune and adjust that model for every country you go into because you've got different populations, um, different philosophies, different cultural um aspects that you that you have to um, um deal with or or to be able to address in each country and but we've used the same basic model of how to increase the producer profitability how do we make their their operations more efficient how do you feed that chicken more soybean meal and and produce that kilogram of 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 chicken meat or pork or um fish it adjusts for what what is there and how we can give them the best value and and find the best value and and to use the most U.S. soy in, in each one of their countries and in their operations. We'll come back to markets in a minute. Let's talk about U.S.E.C. Uh, from a strategy standpoint. You're a year
0: into a new strategic plan. What did this plan offer you as highlights and points that you felt like concentrating on those would bring you a better a better return?
1: Our new strategic plan has three main pillars. It's to elevate US soy, develop a preference for U.S. soy, and to contribute to to free trade or, or, or reduce the market barriers in 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 each of the countries that we do business with. And we focus on each one of those. We have a number of amino acid characteristics that are inherent in U.S. soy that aren't inherent in in some of our producing areas around the world, in in our competitive production areas. And so those amino acids eliminate the need for adding additional synthetic amino acids, and we have came to look at, uh, for years, crude protein has been the basis that everyone's figured what the value was on soybean meal. Uh, we began to find that what we need to look at are the digestible sugars in addition to those amino acids. What we now look at is what we refer to as digestible energy, because we find that U.S. soy has a higher volume of digestible energy, and that's what the animal uses, whether it swims in water or walks on land. That's one of the most valuable things that it has so that's been one of the big things that we have we have gone you know where where we have uh, tried to educate people around the world and help them to develop that into their operations
0: You've spent a lot of time overseas, not just this year as as chair of USEC, but also working uh, on behalf of soybean growers. But over the past several months that you have traveled and others traveled with you, what have you found from, from the globe? There's tremendous concern about the global economy, but there's also concern about feeding a growing population and a hungry world. Have you found other places, maybe not another China, but have you found other portions of the world that are... Receptive to the advantages of U.S. soy.
1: Oh yes, I think one of the probably one of the glowing examples that we've found that comes to mind first is Egypt. Egypt has a very high preference for U.S. soy. They are very. They have an increasing population. Uh, their consumption of of soy, usage of U.S. soy in their poultry operations and aquaculture operations, has increased in the last four years by about 400 percent and so they they've become up in our they're they're in like our top five top six buyers of, of u.s. soy right now another country that is uh looks like a great potential is india india like i said earlier india is our number one buyer of u.s. soybean oil um, because they use a lot of uh, vegetable oils in their cooking, but they are also becoming a big, a greater consumer of U.S. soybeans to crush to develop for the oil, of course, for the cooking, but also for the meal in a lot of their poultry operations. They also have the largest cattle herd in the world, which it's not as big an inclusion, but that's another factor. There's a a number of countries that are up and coming. Bangladesh comes to to mind. There's a lot of population in Bangladesh. Their economy, although everyone around the world has had economic problems, particularly in the last six months with inflation, just a lot of problems along that line. So we tried to look at that, but, but all of these countries when you look at long-term growth and you, and you go beyond our, our current inflationary problems and that sort of thing that we've got, that growth looking out into the future, five, ten years in the future, there, there's great potential in, in six or eight countries that come to mind around the world. So, so, and we're trying to work in all those countries and really teach them how to be efficient through these hard economic times, and then that transfers over into greater profits when the econ, economic times get better.
0: Doug, what about Africa? More and more we talk about hunger there, starvation there, but also potential there for other commodities. What about soy in Africa?
1: Well, I I had the opportunity to be in Nigeria earlier in the year, in in June of this year. And I think that probably, Jeff, that's one of the things that struck me the hardest on that trip was the amount of malnutrition and lack of nutrition and lack of protein in their diet. I think... The potential there, the untapped resources in that country are, are phenomenal. When you look at what they have that they can develop, um, uh, with a little help in, in, um, improving their farming operations and, and producing some of their own food, which is, which is first and foremost. If, if we can go in there and help them to get their, the first thing we have to look at is, how do we help them with their protein supply and and combat that malnutrition particularly in children i guess that always hits me the hardest is I, I i one of the things that it ha- a farmer has a hard time tolerating um uh, is the realization that there are uh, with the bounty that we have in the us is that the malnourished children in the world that that there's no reason that we can't in some way contribute to this either with a product or with with help uh, in how they improve their production systems. The potential in, in just Nigeria, as far as population growth, Nigeria in the next, I believe it's projected by in sometime in the next 20 to 25 years, Nigeria will be in, in like the top five population centers of the world or the top five highest populated countries in the world. They're going to have to, they've got to develop ways to feed that population and they are very interested they're they're a very friendly people we have a great relationship with them they they are very welcoming and and very receptive to our help from USEC in bringing us soy into the country and to finding ways to use it better so so i think that's that's one of the great potentials i think there there's a number of countries that are that are in africa In the frontiers in the next 30 years, I think that's going to be one of our great frontiers for American soy.
0: Is there a day that is coming, and is that day here, where the production practices of the U.S. farmer towards sustainability would gain an advantage to a global customer?
1: (laughs) That is in conversations over the last year that we've had with customers. That has made the change from being a high consideration To being nearly at the forefront. We met with customers in uh, the European and the Southeast Asian area just back a few months ago, and we had three out of four customers that we went with from these areas that actually said they see within the next three to five years that possibly sustainability. And these best management practices that we use in the U.S., our low-carbon footprint for soy over other protein sources and also other over other oil sources, our greenhouse gas emissions, how much we've reduced those, then in addition to all the soil conservation and water conservation and air quality work that we've done to, to develop a sustainable U.S. soy product, that that will probably become a larger factor than price in the future.
0: So suggesting, then that albeit Brazil produces more and sells at a lower price, the U.S. product would be the first priority based on the way that it was produced and the characteristics of the product.
1: Yes, and and I think our principles in U.S. ag production that have been in place for the past hundred years. Sustainability has become a catchword in, in the last two or three years. We've always, I've always gone back to it. It was always what my grandfather reta- referred to as doing things the right way: conserve your soil, conserve your nutrients, produce more with less. Sustainability for U.S. farmers has always been a system of constant improvement. So, what do soybean farmers through USEC
0: need, either from industry or from our own government? To help you be successful in either maintaining or growing markets.
1: Well, I think our assistant and government programs and communicating both back and forth between regulatory agencies and the farmers to be able to keep an open dialogue and an open conversation about what it takes to farm and what the realities of farming are uh, compared to maybe what what some of the perceived um, some of the perceptions are uh, that are that are not accurate about. Um, agriculture. I think the support and research, which we have had with USDA um, in over the years, I think that support in how to improve our operations. What can we do? Uh, how can we verify this? The, one of the things that we've had an increasing amount of use of from the USEC standpoint is. Um, sustainable, very verified shipments, which we use. We developed a number of years ago the, the Soy Sustainability Assurance Protocol that lets us certify shipments of certify the sustainability of shipments of outbound shipments for export into these foreign countries, and that's becoming a bigger and bigger factor. We actually do a very good job in the U.S. of, of communicating, I think. Reporting to the USDA field offices to help with our sustainability and to verify our sustainability. I think that's one of the real important things of the U.S. government is they're that objective third party. When we go to other countries around the world, it's, we can say this is just not us saying this. We, we, have, we have statistics from the government reporting that shows what, we, what we've done the last year, what we've done for the last 30 years. You can see our track record.
0: So let's look to the horizon. It might be called into question after the EPA's RVO numbers that were released most recently. But there has been a tremendous amount of energy and discussion about next generation biofuels, and obviously soy biodiesel is at the top of the list. Dan Bossi of Ag Resource Company has suggested that this demand could lead for the need of another seven to nine million acres of soybeans In the U.S., that we would shift the paradigm and someday uh, start crushing the bean for the oil as the primary, where the meal becomes the secondary. On the horizon, you're already seeing Brazil outpace the U.S. in production, and this year forecast at 5.6 billion bushels. Some suggest the U.S. is moving to a point that you become a domestic market-led as opposed to a global market-led. Doug, with these things on the horizon, what's the objective for the U.S. soybean farmer? What's the objective for USIC?
1: Well, we have a lot of country, a lot of these developing markets that we talked about earlier do not have crush facilities. So with this uh, projected amount, larger amount of meal that we're going to have on the market using the oil for biofuels domestically, We we feel that we're going to have an increased amount of markets coming up over the next few years for this larger amount of meal that's going to be on the market. Now, the other thing we've had, we have a number of customers that have began to have concerns about, are there going to be enough whole beans in the U.S. to export for what our needs are? Because we've built crush facilities in our countries, and we need them. And one of the things we've taken a look at is trend line yields. And the crush capacity in the U.S., yes, it looks like a large increase in crush capacity, but it's not, they're not going to reach in and flip a switch tomorrow and all of this be online. This really looks like over the next three to seven years before all this crush capacity is ramped up in the U.S. If you look at trend line yields, It looks to us like we are going to, what what our projections look like, and I have pretty good faith in them, they're fairly conservative projections, that we are going to be able to still export the amount of whole beans that we are exporting currently, and we'll also have a great additional amount of meal, very possibly as oil becomes the price leader in, in the biofuels market, where historically it's kind of been a drag on the price and meal was the price leader. That oil becomes the price leader and soybean meal is a lower price product, which makes it much more available to a bunch of the, to a lot of these countries that we sell to and these developing markets that we've looked at that are a lot of price buyers. So I think our potential is great out there. I think it's, there's a lot of responsibility placed on the U.S. farmer. I think there's a lot of responsibility placed on the seed breeding companies to keep up their programs to increase the the volume, both the quality of the crop that we're producing, they've got to take a lot more, a harder look at composition. How do we put more protein? How do we put more oil into that soybean? How do we get higher yield rates out of that soybean in, in the plant breeding, in addition to maintaining and increasing the yields per acre, which is what we're basically still paid on? So I think, you know, in, in the entire ag sector, there, there is a great responsibility um, I won't say pressure, but, but we'll just leave it at responsibility to increase what we produce, the quality of what we produce, and the volume of what we produce to satisfy the world demand, the global demand, in the future.
0: Doug Winter, you are a part of an agriculture that has met the challenges over the generations. But you're of a group that uh, understands the, the need to volunteer. You spent tremendous hours away from your own farming operation from your family on behalf of soybean growers to grow this industry. The title of this program is Open Mic, and after all the questions that I've shared with you now, you have the opportunity, Doug, it's an open mic.
1: I started out in college when I graduated high school. I started out in college as a pre-med major. I swore when I went out the back doors of the high school that I would never return to an ag background. It took me about two years of college to realize that agriculture was actually in my blood, and I loved what I did From my family. I'm a fifth-generation farmer. My great-great-grandfather started in 1869, and I guess my dad, who used to quip that we never could get out of the habit for 150 years or for 130 years at the time he passed away, and... I found out it was true. I, I really came to realize that I, I loved farming. I've come back and I started farming with my father in 1977 until he retired, farmed with my brother up until about eight years ago and took over all the operation when he retired. And I found out that I really have a love for producing crops, I think producing food. I think that's it goes back to, to what we were talking about about being able to feed the world. I think that's a great responsibility but but it is probably in my eyes one of the most fulfilling occupations, lifestyles, however you want to brand it, that I can think of. I enjoy it. I enjoy, enjoy the camaraderie. I, I enjoy from, from the service standpoint with the soybean organizations that I've had the privilege to work with, all the way from the Illinois Soybean Association to United Soybean Board and, and working as chairman of USEC now. The people and the relationships I've developed in that are priceless. I, I The experiences have, have helped me far more than what the time that i've invested has cost so so i'm just very grateful for having been here but i just really have a love for for the freedoms that we have to to do this in the u.s and and to be able to always improve ourselves and to always look for to discover what's the next best way to do this so i guess that's kind of, of, of in a rambling explanation that's that's kind of what i enjoy about it and 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 it's just a love for agriculture and, and for love for where i live that, that that just keeps me motivated to keep going every day.
0: Our thanks to Doug Winter, chairman of the U.S. Soy Export Council. Our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by CropLife America. Providing crop protection products to assist farmers in sustainably producing a safe and ample food, fiber and fuel supply for the world. Learn more at croplifeamerica.org For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Nally.